You're listening to the Derms and Conditions Podcast. This is Dr. Jim Del Rosso for Derms and Conditions Podcast, and I'm really excited about the guest we have today on this program. A good friend, a very accomplished dermatologist in many ways, and we're going to talk about that. I've often referred to him as Ted, stay in your lane, but today we're going to be talking about Ted expanded his lane and some of the things that he's gotten into in dermatology uh, that I think will be very important to our listeners, regardless of where you are in your career. So Ted, thanks a lot for being here. I appreciate your time today. Hey, Jim, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on with you. Okay, so we're both excited. So we got a mutual, yeah. we got mutual excitement. So Ted is a dermatologist in clinical practice in Austin, Texas. He practices medical and surgical dermatology and cosmetic dermatology, but he is also director of uh, clinical research for the Austin Institute for Clinical Research. Does a lot of dermatology clinical research and is also the chief medical officer for Sonova Dermatology. So he has a lot of background on the business aspects of dermatology and also clinical research, as well as being a very active clinician and also doing a lot of educational programs. He runs the Skin Science uh, meeting each year with Patty Farris, uh, which started last year and is continuing. So he's got his hands in a lot of things. So Ted, I have some questions for you, and that's why I have you in the studio today. Um, I know you've done a lot in education and in clinical dermatology and, and actively practicing and seeing patients, but how did you get into the business side of dermatology? Yeah, Jim, I mean, to answer that question, I have to go back to, to really medical school. And uh, I was a kid from the age of 11 or 12 that wanted to be a doctor. And so I didn't really think of any other track that I wanted except, you know, college to medical school. And when, after my first year of medical school and we do all the didactics, I was really disillusioned. It just it wasn't what I thought it was going to be, but I knew I wasn't going to give up because I had, I had had this plan for many years. So I stopped at, at that point, I was at Baylor College of Medicine and Baylor and Rice Business School um, developed a joint MD MBA program. And I was in the second year of that. So after two, two, two and a half years of med school, I stopped, I did a year and a half of the business school got the MBA and came back to finish med school. And actually my, my plan was at that point to get the MD, but really move right into venture capital work for a life sciences VC firm in Houston. Uh, but the first rotation I did when I got back was, was dermatology. And I realized, oh, the, you know, the light went off. And I realized this is exactly perfect for me. I, I can see kids and adults. I can do surgery. There's a business aspect to it with the cosmetics and the skincare sales. So I just went full throttle as soon as I could to, to get a dermatology residency position. And I, I knew pretty quickly that uh, my plan was to not only practice medicine, but utilize what I had learned in business school and, and try and bring some business practices, not only to my practice, uh, you know, individually, but also thinking that, you know, Derm was really ripe in terms of being able to, to consolidate single practices. It just made a lot of sense for us to do that because at that time, this was in 2006, there were a lot of small practices, single, you know, physicians, single dermatologists with their practice, and they were doing great, but it, it just seemed like there could be some economies of scale and some real uh, contribution to, to uh, kind of bringing derms together. I just needed to build something myself. So, so that's what I've really focused on 
uh, and with the idea that that Jim, I, w- I was going to get into the business side at some point. Well, that's that's very interesting. But let's say you didn't have the opportunity to do that MD MBA program, and you were in practice a couple of years now, and you still had that desire to do that. Are there ways that uh, clinicians that are out in practice? can get that kind of knowledge and get involved in that aspect of dermatology without doing it as early as you did. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the AAD has some um, really nice publications regarding how to build a practice, how to manage uh, and steer a practice. Um, so there's some good knowledge there. Um, Kavita Marawala just edited a, a really nice book about the business of, of dermatology. Uh, her and Jeff Dover did. So there's that that's available. I was a contributing author there. So I'm familiar with the contents of that book. So I think that there are definitely um, resources available for those who may not have the business background to to quickly learn what's necessary in order to to kind of dive into that the business aspect of dermatology and and because there's so much innovation Jim happening uh, both in the uh, pharmaceutical space in the skincare space in the device space uh, as well as everything that's happening in terms of consolidation of practices really there's so many opportunities for someone who wants to kind of hone their skills in the business world to to dive in and really do that it just takes some initiative and a little bit uh, of home learning and you can do it are there any websites or places that people can go online that that you suggest where they might be able to get some of that information I don't know about websites, Jim. All, all, I, all I really know about is the, are these published resources. So I, I couldn't really steer anybody to a certain website necessarily. Okay. So maybe yeah. I can get a list of that, of, of those, some of those from you, and we could get that to people later. Um, that sounds great. You know, some colleagues and things. So here you are now, and you're in a position where you're talking to dermatologists that may be out a while or new ones that are coming out of residency. And you use the word consolidation. And I think consolidation sometimes might have a knee-jerk reflex of, you know, that sounds bad. That sounds like there's somebody coming in that is going to be taking control of what we do. And I know there are differences between different organizations that manage practices that people sell their practice to that are different in their philosophies. Mm -hmm. And so whoever you go with is going to be the outcome of what you're going to have to deal with. So what do you suggest to people when they're looking potentially at joining a practice? It can even be a private practice Mm -hmm. or a group such as yours or the one that I work with and other people work with. Several, Several of our colleagues more and more are doing that. What are some of the things you suggest people look for uh, and questions they should ask so they can get a good feel before they jump in to where they're going. Yeah. I kind of liken this to any company that you'd want to invest in, right? When you, when you're thinking about investing in a company, you're looking at the product that, that they produce, whether it's a service or a true product, and you're deciding whether that service or product is, is worthwhile and whether there's a demand for that. And, and that will help to determine whether the stock will increase in value, but also the leadership team, right? You wouldn't invest in a company in whom you don't believe the leadership team is, is the, has the right values and morals and, and direction. So when you think about how you uh, invest your money, you need to think about in the same way with how or, or what group you would join, right? Not only do you think about the people that are involved in, in leadership, 
the other people that have joined the company as well, because you get an idea. There's always a somewhat of a theme behind the types of, of dermatologists that join a different organization. Uh, some are, for example, some are older in their careers. They have left less what we call runway left in their careers. They're ready closer to retirement. And then there are other groups which really focus on the younger dermatologists who have uh, a longer career ahead of them, but but see the opportunity of joining something and, and really in, in a larger group, being able to do some really interesting things together. Uh, and so in either case, you're going to be a partner in that, uh, in that group. You need to look across the table with the other partners and say, I trust you. I, I trust that the way that you practice medicine is aligned with the way that I practice medicine, that we have the, the right morals, that the ethics behind this practice are aligned with the way I want to practice as well. And then when you look at the leadership, you have to decide whether they're leading the, the organization in the correct way. Are, are they, you know, are they focused on only the dollars and cents, which as you know, anybody that started a practice or wants to join a practice will know that it's all about patient care. And if you focus on dollars and cents, you, you'll take your eye away from what's important, which is patient care. And so, you know, I had a attending early on in, in my career as, as a resident who told me uh, very wisely that if you focus on the patient, everything else falls in line. And I truly believe that. And as that's my mantra as the chief medical officer in our group, we just need to focus on the patient because if we do that, we're going to be doing the right thing. And every one of us can then sit across the table from each other and look each other in the eye and say, I'm glad that you're my partner because I can refer a patient to you and know that things are going to happen, that th that, that patient's going to have a good outcome. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what I would recommend is, is just making sure everyone's aligned in terms of the philosophy, you're aligned with the leadership and the strategy, uh, and that the partners that you'll be associated with are, are ones that, that you feel comfortable with. You know, it's interesting. There was a dermatologist I knew, uh, that was in Columbus, Ohio. I was in Athens, Ohio. Uh, and I was there for a period of time, went back and did a Mohs Fellowship in Columbus. And then when I was leaving to go to Florida, um, he had me over for dinner and we sat on his porch. This is 1990, okay? And he just said to me, remember one thing, what's best for the patient is best for medicine. And that stuck with me. And, you know, you could make decisions in a room and be thinking what's going to be best for the pocketbook. But if it's yeah. not best for the patient, it's not going to be it's not going to work out good for anyone in the long run. So I think that's really very good advice. You yeah. Take care of the patient first and everything else will fall into place. You know, yeah, I agree, Jim. And what's interesting is if you think about your interaction in a patient room, there's you and the patient, maybe a spouse or a parent. But there's so many other people in that room that you just can't see. You know, there's the the uh, the middlemen in the pharmaceutical industries, right? The pharmaceutical benefit managers are are in there. You've got the pharmaceutical companies that are in there. You've got different people that are trying to sway your mind, right? And they're all there. They may be ghosts, but they're in that room. <laughs> and you have to neglect all of that and just focus on the patient. And it's the same thing with the business of your practice. You have to neglect a lot of uh, what you may want to do for the dollars and cents for the bottom line and the profit and loss statement and just focus on the patient. And I think if everyone's aligned on that, it's going to be a success. Because the other people that are not that are in the room, right, yeah. are other people that they know, other family members, friends, yeah. relatives that they then say, hey, I really felt good about what this Dr. Ted Lane did. Mm -hmm. And that 
that builds the practice. It, it, it has mm-hmm. some, I, I know a lot of people that do cosmetic dermatology. They say the way I market my practice is how I take care of the, the kid or the teenager, the boy or the girl with, uh, with acne. And then the mother's there and thinks, you know, I really like this clinician. And they, they see a brochure, they see that you do it. And then they tell you, they tell you, they want to come see you for something that may be cosmetic. So it feeds itself. Patty Farris said that recently to me, uh, when I was talking to her and you know, Patty very well. So I think there's things that are well said. So now let's move to discussions with younger dermatologists that are coming out. And I think there's been a lot in, the, in, in some of our dermatology literature and also a reflex ne- negativity. Oh, you're going to join one of those venture capitalist practices and there's an automatic negative. But I remember, and I've said this to people before, when I had the, re- when I had the residency, I'd always tell my residents that the first place you go to, and th- they were pretty much because of the way it was at that time, looking at private practices, not not very many of these larger group uh, uh, corporate organizations. Uh, I would tell them that the first place you go is not very likely going to be where you end up indefinitely. So it that reflex negativity is not only to these larger organizations and these consolidated groups, but also in private practice. You might not necessarily align with the person that's right across from you that owns the practice that's now dictating to you they want you to do certain things in the practice that you don't agree with. So those are possibilities on both sides of it. When you have these younger uh, physicians coming in and they have different expectations than I certainly I did a long time ago and you later on down the line or even five or ten years ago, the expectations that some of these people have are pretty high. So how do you have those discussions with them in terms of bringing the realities of what they have to think about in terms of what they bring to the table and what an organization brings to them? How do you get that meeting of the minds? Well, this is so timely, Jim, because, uh, you know, all of dermatology is extremely busy right now. We're all vying for new residents because we can't keep up with the demand. I'm in Austin and, and half of California, I feel like, is moving to my <laughs> to my city. And so thankfully, we have this wonderful issue of, of you know, just an overload of patients that we need to, to satisfy that demand. So I was just recently talking with a senior resident and, um, you know, she, she was telling me, look, I, I only want to work four days a week. Um, I don't think I can see more than 30 patients a day. I don't want to do any any cosmetic uh, dermatology at all. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is dictated by her residency program and what she's been exposed to, and that may change over time. But I had to tell her, you know, what is actually going to happen. And I'm happy to, to discuss this now. You know, residents that, that come out of dermatology are told that they should uh, – they should be guaranteed a salary for one or two years. And that salary is, is usually in the 300 to $400,000 range. And if you think about a, a medical dermatologist and their revenue per patient, you know, on, on average, a revenue per patient for a medical dermatologist is about $125. So you could very per, easily per just, visit, per visit, per visit. Per yes, visit. sir. Yeah. Per visit. So you could very easily just kind of do the math and determine if I have $125 per patient and I'm seeing 30 patients a day for four days a week, and then I want to take four to six weeks off a year, you can figure out how much revenue you're going to make very simply. And those numbers are rock solid. Uh, you know, they may be off within 
10% in terms of the revenue per patient. But for a medical dermatologist, I'm telling you, those are pretty close. So, uh, you know, at that point, you know that almost every, you know, new doctor coming out is going to be making 40% of their collections. I'm within three to 5% uh, of, of pretty much the entire country, but on average, it's going to be 40% of your collections. So you can essentially figure out how much you're going to be making when you are on strict percentage of collections. If you come out and you ask to make three or $400,000 a year, the problem is after that first year of guarantee, your income is going to fall off a cliff because you're beyond percentage of collections and you'll, you'll know exactly what you're going to make. And it's going to be essentially half of what your guarantee is. And so you just have to be prepared for that. Uh, and if that's something that, that is okay with you, that's great. But you know, the last thing we want as, as a company is to guarantee a salary for a year and then have someone leave right afterwards, because that's only when they're going to really start being productive as they build their practice over those six to 12 months and are able to really fill where, where to, to where they want to be. So I try and, and set expectations um, right from the beginning with our new derms, even before they join us to make sure they understand the math of their compensation and what they're asking to do. And it opens their eyes. In every case, Jim, it opens people's eyes to the idea of this isn't going to work. You know, this is the wrong, the formula that's being uh, espoused right now is the wrong formula because it doesn't guarantee me long-term success. And yes, you're right. Many people do leave after a couple of years, but that is not what I'm looking for, for our derms, you know, especially in an area where we are growing so quickly in any area in the country, we're all trying to hire people that will stick around and so that we can guarantee that they're successful and that, um, you know, everybody benefits from that. Um, so, you know, I think that what we need to do is find a formula that benefits the employer and the employed doctor in a more equitable fashion. Uh, such that we bring something to the t to the table, but the the employed physician does as well. Uh, and and you and I were discussing this earlier, how you know the employed physician needs to stop thinking about just being a taker, and how they can be a giver as well to the organization. Because only in that respect will will everybody achieve long term success. Uh, and if you come in with that kind of an attitude of helping to build your own practice, helping to make sure that the practice you're in is successful and being supportive of your colleagues and the staff, you will have so much more success early on in your career than if you come in with a, uh, they're lucky to have me and they should fill up my schedule and all I need to do is show up every day. Now, I remember a, a dermatologist, wasn't a dermatologist actually, was an internal medicine doctor that I spent a lot of time with, said to me, he said, you know, Jim, you've done a great job in medical school. Um, I know you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna be a great physician. You know, that made me feel good at the time. But he said, if you never became a physician, the world is gonna go on without you. Someone else is gonna be able to do what you do Maybe not as good, but some may be better. So if you're just thinking that the world is waiting for you, yeah, your mother and father may be happy you're graduating and, and think that way. But but that's the reality is you have to put in perspective what you can bring to the table for others as well as what they can bring for you. I think that's if someone comes in with that attitude, you're going to ingratiate them a lot more, I would think. In the interview oh my process. gosh, right. absolutely. Not only will I ingratiate them, but their office manager and the staff will as well because they're invested in the success of their practice and not just themselves, which always goes much farther. So do you have any, um, as, as we wrap up here, 
if you were in the position of looking at going into a practice or, or selling your practice, a lot of people have these things crossing their minds and thinking about it at different points and times in their career. What are a couple of key questions that you would, you would ask or things that you would say that you would think would be helpful in that process? You know, people are going to ask the normal questions in terms of, you know, just wanting to get some statistics about what their contract is going to look like, what their non-compete is going to look like. But if you take, if you kind of pan out a little bit and take a 10,000 foot view, I would ask who's on the board of directors of this organization? Are there any physicians on the board of directors? If they are, do they practice medicine? Because then they will truly understand what it's like to be in a room with a patient. So, so getting that kind of an idea of physician involvement in the board, is there a medical advisory board within the practice such that that the derms have a say in perhaps day-to-day -day strategic and, and logistic issues that come up, but also could be uh, a, a, an advisory board to the chief medical officer and the board. The more influence and say that the, the employed doctors have, uh, the more they're going to feel like they're owners as well. And many of them are because they'll have bought into the, into the company. But ownership is really important because it, it allows you to have access to the board and leadership, but it also makes you feel and practice. It makes you feel better, but you're going to practice in a different way such that you're going to guarantee the success of the entire organization. And, and that's what these kinds of, you know, organizations need, these group practices need everybody to be aligned uh, with the same goal uh, of growth uh, for everyone, not just growth for the individual doctor. How would how would you find out whether or not that organization, or even in a private practice, I've had people call me that have joined a private practice, and they were shocked at how much the person that owns that practice was getting their hands into how they wanted to do certain things in the management of patients. Mm -hmm. And that that's very bothersome, obviously. You still want to feel mm -hmm. that you have the decision-making uh, power in the management of your own patients. How would you feel that out? How would you? Yeah, that's the great question. I mean, that, those are simple questions that can be asked during uh, either, you know, before the interview or even in, in, as you negotiate the employment agreement, just determining, uh, is there going to be a, a, a required minimum number of patients that I see? Uh, is there a protocol that I will have to follow? Uh, you know, is there, uh, it, am I required to supervise a physician extender or a mid-level? Um, those kinds of activities which you may or may not want to do that you need to get that figured out before you sign on the dotted line with the employment agreement because only then do you have leverage um, with the negotiation afterwards everything that's in the employment agreement is the bible and and you are held to that um, so so great point jim you have to work out the details as well so you kind of have to take this holistic gestalt view of the practice and figure out who's leading it what their what their um, goals are but as you kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the employment agreement you you need to ask all those questions so you are fully aware of what it's going to be like to practice on a day-to-day -day basis you know it's interesting what you said because i remember a few years ago a resident called me and said dr Dorasso, i don't know what to do i joined this group and all of a sudden, they're telling me I'm the supervising dermatologist over a physician assistant 
That was never discussed. I'm obviously taking a responsibility medically and legally, but we never discussed if there's any compensation or how that's to be done. And that was after the fact. And that's those are very important questions up front. Yeah. Ted, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, you're a brilliant guy, an extremely nice guy, and I'm not just saying that. Um, I, re- I really appreciate the time that I've called you and and like I am today to get some of these questions answered. So thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure we'll be doing this again. It's it's absolutely my pleasure, Jim. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Derms and Conditions. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcasts at fred.health. And most importantly, if you like this episode, subscribe to the Derms and Conditions podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for joining us.